Right. Well, I think I'm going to kind of... Do you say catty corner or kitty corner? Catty corner, right? That's what I thought. Some people think it's kitty corner. But I'm going to catty corner over here so I can see the screen too. Is that okay? I don't want to... I don't know if it's weird for you or not. You're like... All right. All right. So um, nice to see you guys. I'm just going to let... Tim, there's a maybe... I'll just keep talking loud. You can just adjust the... Is there... Is that all right? Does that sound okay? Working good? Tech is good? All right. So yes, I echo what, uh, what Pastor Nick said. Thank you very much, you uh, musicians, and, uh, and for all of you guys participating uh, here tonight. I look forward to this time together, and I love to look out and see you guys singing. And so we're actually going to be talking about worship tonight. Uh, we just had a, a, a series of messages talking about uh, how do we make disciples? How do we really make disciples? This is a call of Jesus. He wants his church to be all about making disciples. And so what we want to do tonight is look at the characteristics of a disciple of Jesus, Jesus Christ. What is it like? What is a characteristic of somebody who says, I'm a follower of Jesus? What should we expect? Um, what does that really mean in the life of that person? What are the characteristics of a disciple? So I'm highlighting Really just one of those tonight, and there'll be a couple of different uh, messages for you to hear from. This one is the characteristic of being a worshiping disciple, that when we are called together and made into a disciple of Jesus, which is something that he does, he makes us into worshipers. This is a characteristic, a quality of every follower of Jesus to some degree. And so uh, we want to look at that characteristic, but I thought... The last time I got to talk with you about worship, I went uh, a little bit more uh, academic. We kind of looked at some passages of Scripture and kind of broke them down. I'm going to start with a little different tactic this time. I want to share a little bit from my own life uh, with you guys. So I hope you, I don't know, if you want to get to know me a little better, then uh, I hope then you'll like tonight. If you don't, then you won't like it. Um, I want to share some key moments in my life with you because God has worked in my life to call me to become a follower of Jesus from a very young age, and also this theme of being a worshiping disciple of Jesus has been important in my life uh, for as long as I can remember, even from when I was a little kid. So I want to talk about that. So I was born in Connecticut. Um, well, first of all, let's see that uh, the family side. So this is my family now, uh, immediate family here. You guys know some of them. Uh, one of them's missing. That's Thea. That's our, our newest little granddaughter. So we have five sons, Quinn and I are there. Quinn's the beautiful one there in the front. we got Christian, Eric, Ethan, Seth, and Jason. Um, so a lot of you guys know, know at least Seth and Jason. And there's Emily, my daughter-in-law, and Josie. This is a, a little while back. So what is it that led up to this? So I was born in Connecticut um, to Christian parents. My parents helped plant a new church um, right before I was born, a couple of years before I was born. My parents uh, were involved in uh, planning a new church in Northeast Connecticut because there was no really uh, gospel preaching church in our immediate town or the area, and so they were involved with some other people uh, in that. So I was born into this church, and I loved my church growing growing up. It was like my it was like my whole life. You know, I literally was born into a uh, just about born into a church board meeting that was meeting in my family's house because uh, they were all meeting at our house, and then my mom's like, I gotta, I'm going to have a baby. And uh, that was me interrupting the board meeting, um, and I've been in church board meetings ever since. Um, 
So I've learned about how to follow Jesus from my youngest days in this church that was really, really great. And one of the things I remember about my church growing up is they, they were great at singing. Like when we had singing, we just kind of set up folding chairs in a school building at first for years. We had hymnals on, all the, on every other chair. And as a little kid, I would walk around and hand out hymnals. And I grew up in this church, and uh, um, I, I just loved this church. So this is my youth group. This is my TNT. Uh, that's the whole youth group when I was in, uh, in high school. Uh, and right over there, Jim and Becca Orig, um, my youth leaders at that time, started this little youth group with a, this little group. Youth leaders, let me tell you, these are the most influential people in my entire life. Uh, and they were my youth leaders when I was in junior high. And so I really just see God kind of working in them and setting my, my life in a direction. Um, so you, you can tell which one is me? Like the one that looks like Seth, yeah, over on the right, yeah. Yeah, that's me. And I love that jacket. I don't know what happened to it, but this is at a, a, a youth event that we went to. I love this church that I was part of. I played trumpet in my, you know, growing up in school, and uh, I, I, uh, my church loved to sing. I loved to sing. Um, uh, here's a picture of my mom. That's in there, right? Is that next? Yeah. This is my mom. My mom uh, was the church pianist starting in 1969, and she still plays some today. So that's over 50 years of of serving the church by playing the piano in church. Uh, she doesn't play as often as she used to, but when we started off, she was it. She was like the whole music uh, of the whole church. And um, she was just a faithful uh, servant in worship and in singing. So um, at some point in my, in my life, we introduced praise songs in our church. That's what we called them. Somebody brought a guitar to church, and it was weird. It was like, what's going on? We had hymnals in every other seat, and then we had these spiral-bound praise books we put on in between the hymnals. And for a lot of churches, this was controversial, and it wasn't for ours. Um, we just embraced whatever it was, you know, different styles, different kinds of music. So we had, you know, a hymn at the front that my mom would play, and she was so good. She would, like, throw in key changes and stuff, and it was, like, not old, stodgy piano playing. She's, she was fantastic. Um, and, then, uh, and then with these praise songs, you'd have some guitarist lead in the singing with, um, like, scripture songs. Some of them were really kind of cheesy and... And, and almost like you'd listen to him now, you'd kind of cringe probably. But, um, but still, everyone in our church sang. Like it, singing was really important uh, growing up. Even as a kid, I think prayers of worship is what I'll call it, were a very important part of my uh, walk with Jesus. And what I mean by prayers of worship is, even as a young kid, I remember six, seven, eight years old, I like to go behind my house and just hang out by myself and maybe go for a little walk, you know, not too far, because we had boundaries, but a oh, good walk in the woods and follow a trail, sit on a rock, and like just talk prayers of worship, just very simple. I didn't normally naturally pray like, God give me this and God give me that. A lot of the prayers are like, wow, Lord, it's really beautiful out here. I, I just, I love you. Um, you're really good to me. I, I want to serve you. Like this is, you are, you are, I would say things about who God is in these prayers of, of worship. And, you know, actually, I didn't even know it at the time, but that's a very biblical way to pray. If you read through the Psalms, a lot of the Psalms, what they're doing is they're saying to God who he is. It's like affirming his attributes, saying, God, you are good, you are sovereign, you are wise, uh, you know what you're doing, I can trust you in this situation. And again and again, the psalmist gives these prayers of worship as a part of his life. And so, um, you know, I, I would, uh, this was just kind of a part of, of my life. 
Um, this is a picture, I probably was maybe 11 here, I think. I have a younger brother and sister. Um, what I wanted to share with you is that uh, just a couple years before this, before my little sister was born, uh, one of the big and sad things that happened in my life, and I don't remember if I've shared it with you before, when I was nine years old, I had a brother who was struck by a car, and he died. Um, he was a couple years older than me. And that, of course, had a huge impact on my family's life and on my life, um, made me think about eternal things a lot, even as a young kid. But these prayers of worship, this kind of, um, I didn't think of them that way at that time, but they continued to be really important to me because I would, I would say in a very simple way as a nine-year-old kid, uh, God, I, I, I trust you or I love you and I, this is really hard, um, but I just, I just still want to follow you. I still want to believe in you. Um, so these prayers of worship were just a normal thing um, for my life. I grew with the sense that God was good that God was close to me. And so worship for me was just kind of coming out of me because I was a disciple. And to me, it seemed a, kind of just a natural thing that God was doing in me. I went on to, um, to a Christian camp, um, just this fantastic Christian camp. Uh, I was introduced to um, this Christian camp where it was filled with all boys, it was an all boys camp. And they sang so loud there. Like these, guys, these teenage guys would sing at the top of their lungs, and some of the songs were kind of, you know, campy and cheesy and that kind of thing. That's not an insult. It's just, they were just camp songs that were written, some of them in the 1930s, you know. But these guys sang it with their whole heart, like, and they would sing old hymns there, and they would sing, you know, more modern songs. And, um, but that had a big influence on me. I went, um, eventually went to college. I went to Messiah College as a math major. How many is math your favorite subject? Oh, yeah, I, I knew I loved yeah, me too. So I, I loved math. I wanted to be a math teacher. So um, that, was, that was my plan. Actually, you know what? I loved the idea of working with teenagers more than I liked math even. So I thought that was exciting, the idea of being a teacher. So um, I went to college at Messiah and met my wife, Quinn, there. Um, what do you think? The mullet? You got it? It's, it's real there. That's, that's as mulletaceous as I got, but it's, it's just right about here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I, so I went as a math major, but I still love the idea of worship and um, love the idea of just letting my life be about worship to God. And I started getting um, introduced to a lot of different music styles, a lot of different church backgrounds with other students from different denominations. Uh, in college, we went to an inner city church in New York City and saw it was just very different than what I had grown up with. We visited uh, in rural Mississippi, this house, the, this, uh, this church there, and, and worked at this house there, just really got introduced to some really different um, backgrounds of people who also love Jesus and, and just would sing with their whole heart. And so this is all just building in me. So I started to play guitar, and I remember uh, sitting in, in my dorm room. I was the guy who just mooched guitars off of everyone else because I didn't have one. And uh, I'd say, like, how do I play this chord, and how do I play this chord? And my whole intent from the very beginning was I wanted the chance to, I really wanted to, to have people sing to Jesus. Like, that was the whole reason I kind of wanted to play guitar. So, um, is this working here, Tim? So, I remember playing in, the, in this dorm room at Messiah, and we had a few people sitting in there, and I plunked out for the first time this little song that went, Lord, you are. 
So it's just this little worship song, and they started singing while I was playing, and it was like, oh, I love this. Like, to, to sing to Jesus and to have other people sing to him, and it was just sort of light, igniting this thing in me, like I just wanted to lead worship. So um, we had this worship thing on campus called Powerhouse, and it was on a Thursday night, and it was all student-led, and it was late at night, and they just do worship songs for a long time. Once I went to one of those while I was on campus, and here's a, here's a pivotal thing that, uh, yeah, I know, it, it's great, isn't it? I'm humbling myself before you. Uh, so I joined this music group, and we, we traveled to a bunch of different churches, and uh, that's Lane, and that's Jeff, and, um, and that's the same guitar that I'm playing now. Um, and so we started playing at churches, but there was this thing at, at this powerhouse worship night the whole church, it was like in this church building on campus, and it all cleared out, and so I was the only one in there. And I don't remember what was going on, but I wanted to just spend some time worshiping God by myself. So I stayed there up in the front, and it was nice and echoey in there, and I was playing different songs and singing, and I just had this really special time of just singing songs uh, to God. It was just sort of coming out of me. Um, one of them was a who. Holy, holy is the Lamb. Remember that one? That's a Mylan uh, Lefebvre song. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. And I was just singing and praying, just taking times. And uh, the next day I got a note in campus mail from... This, uh, this other student, and she said to me, she said, I was up in the balcony while you were doing that time of singing, and she said, I was really going through a hard time, and it meant so much to me to, uh, to be able to sit there and just worship Jesus, and she just told me, I didn't know who it was, um, but I, I look at that as this really pivotal experience that I had in my life where God was leading me toward a ministry of worship. Um, again, this, this just sort of kept flowing out of me because I followed Jesus and I wanted to see him uh, worshipped. And so that was one, one incident that God uh, used to kind of shape and direct my life. Um, there was another one, there was this conference that I went to, and I, I don't know why it had such a huge impact, but it was, uh, there's a song at that time called He is Exalted, and the King is Exalted on High, I Will Praise Him. And uh, uh, it says, his truth shall reign for, for, oh, sorry. You are the Lord forever. Your truth shall reign. Heaven and earth rejoice in your holy name. You are exalted, Lord. You are exalted on high. So it's a simple, beautiful worship chorus. But we were singing this song, and I was so struck with this, I don't know how to describe it, but this deep, deep desire in my heart that God would receive worship. Um, I don't know how else to say it. It's not that I, it's not even, it wasn't so much about me. I just had this overwhelming desire that God would receive the worship that he's worthy of. That I, I was thinking about the whole world and how he's worthy of every single person on earth worshiping him. And it was one of those things, um, you know, I, I, just, I just knelt down there during the worship service and I remember I was, I was crying. It was just, it was just this really powerful time in my life where 
I, I just really, really wanted to see God receive the praise that he is worthy of. Because it's just wrong when he's not worshipped. It's, it's, it's inappropriate. It's, it's not fitting. It's so sad to me when he doesn't receive the worship that he's worthy of. So that was another, another event that really shaped my life at that time. So I went to um, take my first job out of college, and I went to go teach math at a Christian school. And in the interview, the pastor said, well, you can come here to teach math at our Christian school, but we re- also really need somebody to lead um, singing and lead the music of our church. Would you be willing to do, do that? I'm like, I would love to do that. I mean, you, you don't, I'll, I'll pay you to get to do that. Um, so I, and I've not, never stopped since. Um, so I guess that last picture is soup. So this is, this is here at Fellowship. So that was a long time ago. Um, you know, I, I wonder about how to worship God. Sometimes when you think, what's the right way to worship God? Sometimes people will think about songs and styles and music. And I thought a lot about all these different experiences. Does the how of worship really matter? Um, when it comes to songs and styles, I would say the how of worship doesn't, doesn't matter. Because um, I've seen hymns where they are routine and thoughtless and repetitive, but I've heard hymns sung with people heartfelt, engaging, powerful, pouring out their heart before God and being impacted by the truths of those hymns. I've seen newer songs that you know, might be silly or shallow or cheesy, but I've also seen newer songs sung with people's heart fully engaged in what they were singing and powerful. Uh, even modern songs, you know, some people criticize if it's got electric guitars in it and stuff. They have a problem with it. I just don't think that matters. Um, some modern songs can be worldly and, and showy. But I've seen modern worship, like, like at a at student life camp, be very powerful and engaging and heartfelt. So, but when it comes to musical styles, though, the how of worship does matter, but in a different way than... Um, Sorry, sorry. When it comes to musical styles, how of worship doesn't matter. But there are ways in the how of worship that that do matter. And I just want to look at this Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Do you guys have your Bibles there? Hebrews chapter 12, could you look that up? Uh, Dan's got a Bible here, Michelle, if you need one. And uh, um, in just a moment, I'll ask for a volunteer to read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, and then I want to hear from you guys what you think it means. All right, it is on the screen, but would somebody like to, uh, like to read it? It's good to follow, follow along in the Bible so you can see the context around it. You know, good Soya experts that you are. Uh, can I have a volunteer read that for us? Thanks, Jason. All right, so it's used as a phrase, acceptable worship. If there is such a thing as acceptable worship, do you think there's such a thing as unacceptable worship? Do you think? Yes. Uh, So acceptable worship is underscored here as with reverence and awe. I think every time that we worship God, pray to him, praise him, ask, bring requests before him, tell him about his attributes, we have to always have underneath it this sense of reverence and awe because God is a consuming fire. He's an awesome, awesome God. 
He's bigger than we think he is. He's more powerful than we can imagine him to be. He's more wise than we could even comprehend ourselves. So we always have this reverence and awe, and that can be with different styles of music. You can have reverence and awe of God, even if it's joyful and exuberant and celebratory, because you see that in the Psalms. You see joy and exuberance and and celebratory worship, um, but it still has this reverence and awe uh, throughout it. So uh, acceptable worship before God, uh, part of the answer of what makes worship acceptable is reverence and awe. So no matter what emotions or songs or styles, there's always the sense that this is Almighty God and He deserves my entire life. He deserves worship from not just me, but from every, everybody. He deserves all of it. Disciples of Jesus personally care that God receives the worship that He deserves. It's a value that we have. If you're a follower of Jesus, you care that he gets what he deserves. And this is the concept when the Bible talks about him getting glory. We care that he gets glory, that he gets glorified, because that's what he is worthy of. And any, any glory that's withheld from him, that's just wrong, because he deserves all of it. Um, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of what is right and what is good for the sake of God and what he deserves. What does he deserve? He deserves absolute devotion. He deserves total glory. He deserves total obedience. He deserves all of creation bowing down before him. Um, He deserves his enemies being destroyed. He deserves all people giving their reverence and awe and obedience to him. Imagine that you uh, think about our earth uh, from space. So let, let's look at this little picture here. So that's that little dot off to the right is the Earth. And, um, oh no, I'm sorry, the bigger dot is the Earth, and then the little dot is the Moon. And this is from 40 million miles away. Um, and this is just from 40 million miles away. So if I did drop another one in Dropbox, did I put that in there? Okay. In worship resources, if you find it, there's a picture of the Milky Way galaxy if you want to drag that on there. If not, don't worry about it. I forgot to put that in there. So when you think, if God looks at the galaxies of space and all of space, and like there was a portion of what he made that was just not obeying him, you know, like stars that he wanted to go one way and they were just kind of rebelling and doing their own thing, like that's that's unfitting. It's inappropriate. He deserves all of creation doing what he created. Like, We have to think about worship from less of a me-centered approach and more of a God-centered approach. Because from God's perspective, this is just one galaxy in all of creation, and the earth is a little dot that's over on the left somewhere, you know, and on that little dot is you and me. Um, So, um, you know, you could just, if you waved, we wouldn't even see it, you know, from this far away. God is worthy of all of creation, bowing and worshiping and giving him glory. And to remind yourself of that perspective, this big God perspective, is a, is a characteristic of a disciple. Um, Psalm 19 is, a, is another one. Would someone want to read that for me? So turn, flip over to Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Uh, 
And who's got that? Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. Someone like to read that out for me? You got it? You got it? Go ahead. Yeah, the, all this beautiful creation that we're surrounded by, uh, the, the galaxies, all of space, it declares that God is God. He is big, He is awesome, He is worthy of glory and honor and praise. And we are a very, very small part of that, that He happens to love and care about a great deal. Um, but we are part of something much bigger. So last week, Byron did a great job talking about this passage in John chapter 4. So I want to shift to that. If you guys want to turn over to John chapter 4, um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this. In this passage, uh, he introduced how Jesus had met this woman, uh, this woman at the well. She came out, a woman from Samaria. And just a couple of reminders, um, in this culture, um, uh, women had much less respect even um, then, then in our culture today, wouldn't he, it would have been strange for him to, to even speak with this woman just because she was a woman. Second, um, Samaria was looked down on by the Jews. They saw Samaria as not legitimate, kind of their enemies. Um, and so here she is, this woman from Samaria come out to draw water, and he, he, he speaks to her. This woman who would be looked down on um, uh, she also had some sin issues in her life, so you know a lot of people were judging her. It seemed like she was kind of an outcast in, in a lot of ways. So Jesus speaks to her, and he says, um, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and what it, who it is, that was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. All right, so he introduces this idea to this woman uh, that there's something really important about who he is, and if she knew who he was, then, um, then he could provide for her this living water. Living water, that's an interesting uh, concept. Let's go on to um, the, next the next slide. Uh, skip ahead to verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, speaking of the water from the well, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So living water, he's talking about. Do you know what he meant when he said, when he used that phrase, living water? It's explained elsewhere in the book of John, but I wanted to see if you guys knew. You can shout it out if you know it. It is the Holy Spirit. Later on, he's, he said living water is the spirit which, he would, uh, which the disciples would later receive. He's talking about when we come to be disciples of Jesus, and we go from being spiritually desert wasteland dead inside to spiritually alive inside, what happens is this living water, this, 
by a work of the Holy Spirit, it's life in your spirit that is not only alive, but also ongoing life. It like never wears out. It's refreshing. Like you think about this constant spring of water. Um, it's, it's alive. You know, the Holy Spirit is alive within you, bringing you spiritual life. And you never get thirsty again. So it's, it's rejuvenating and it's good. And um, it's life in your spiritual life by a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a continuous well of life that's eternal and refreshing and alive. So spiritual life, being a disciple, is more than just knowledge. It's more than just, okay, I know that Jesus is the Son of God. I know he died on the cross. I know he rose from the dead. I know everything I need to know to be a Christian. Jesus is saying here, it's, it's not just knowledge. If you come to me, I will give you living water, and it will be like springs of water coming out of you. Um, not just in you, but out of you, uh, and they'll never run out, and you'll never be thirsty again. You'll never have spiritual thirst ever again. So this alive relationship with God is what Jesus was talking about. So he talks to her about worship, because if you, if you come to Jesus and you have this relationship with him and he makes you a disciple, you have this eternal well of, of living water uh, within you, bringing you spiritual life, then he, can, he shifts to talk about worship because um, then you can experience worship in a way that could never happen if you weren't spiritually alive inside. So let's go to that next uh, section of this. This is uh, down in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Okay, that's because she's a Samaritan. And the Samaritans, they weren't in Jerusalem, so they had to kind of try to worship God elsewhere, even though God said, when you come to worship me, it has to be in the temple, it has to be in Jerusalem. So there was this division. She said, our fathers worshiped over here. You say that Jerusalem is where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He's like, neither one. Uh, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews, That's, he's speaking about himself. Jesus, the Jew who fulfilled all the prophecies of Jewish scriptures in the Old Testament. Uh, next slide, please. But the hour is coming and is now here. Okay, big turning point. This is Jesus making an announcement of a big turning point. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, think about this, true worshipers, he's, he's almost saying, those who worshiped God in the past, it's almost like um, there's something so special now that true worshipers, they can experience something that nobody else could before. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He was called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Isn't it great that here, this woman at the well, kind of an outcast of society, she gets it straight from Jesus when he said, I am the Messiah, like he told her. There was a lot of secrecy. Um, not everyone was supposed to know he was the Messiah too early. They had to follow God's timing. But here he told this woman, I am the Messiah. I am the one who can provide the, the living water. Um, I'm the one who 
is the source of life. So let's look at this verse 23 a little bit deeper. Um, Worship the Father in spirit and truth. If we're a follower of Jesus, if we're a disciple of Jesus, and we're to be worshipers, we should understand what it means to worship in spirit and truth, because it's an incredible thing that would be impossible without Jesus. Um, So she was confused. This woman was thinking it's about the how of worship. You know, do you worship over here or do you worship over there? That kind of sounds like a uh, Dr. Seuss, right? Worship over here, you worship over there. Do you worship in a box or do you worship with a fox? Sorry, I'm just, I'm just trying to, you know. Um, so, but that was not what it's about. Worship, he said, no, it's, it's actually neither. You're missing it. You're missing it. The, it's true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. So this is something completely new. And it's available, you guys, to all of us because of Jesus, where we can worship in spirit and in truth. So let's think about what God has done here. When you're a disciple of Jesus, he changes who you are on the inside and takes you from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And when that happens, this spring of living water, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, enables you to worship God in spirit. Why is that so important? Uh, The answer's on the screen. Why is it so important that I worship in spirit? Uh, Oh, no, go back to the... Can you go back to the slide right before that, Sue, please? Yeah, on this slide, the answer is there. Why is it so important that I worship God in spirit? Because... Because God is spirit. In other words, when I worship God, it doesn't have to be separated. God is spirit, and if I'm going to worship him and I have the Holy Spirit inside me, I can now worship God in a way that would be totally impossible. It's in a personal relationship. This idea of a personal relationship with God is not just a recent invention. This is what Jesus was talking about. God is spirit, and if you're reborn in spirit, you can worship God spirit to spirit. It's, a, it's a, an alive spiritual connection that's available to us. So that's what it means to worship in spirit. It's this living relationship with God um, from within you. It's not about what's on the outside. But what does worship in truth mean? Can you guys have any guesses on that? What does worship in truth mean? Maybe a guess as to what would it mean to not worship in truth? Any guesses? Hmm. What's true? And how can I worship in truth? Yeah. Okay. Worshiping an idol is definitely not worshiping in truth. And do you know why? That's right. Exactly. God is truth. God's word is truth. And those idols, they're actually a lie, right? They're, they're not real. It's not like there's this passage in scripture. They're kind of making fun of people worshiping idols, like they say, you, you cut up half the firewood and you burn it and cook your dinner on it, and then the other half you bow down and say, oh, great firewood, you know? Like, like it doesn't make any sense to worship an idol because it's not real. It's, it's like, it's a lie. It's kind of living, in, living a lie. But since God is truth, it's according to what is real. When you worship the one true God, you're worshiping according to what is true, according to what is real. And how do we know what's true? We go to God's word, and then we can know what is truth, so we can worship in truth. 
All right, so yielding to the Spirit of God at work in you, you can constantly declare the goodness of God and what is true about God, um, and that is worshiping God in spirit and in truth. It's this living relationship with God where you can declare what is true about the one true God. So it's, it's not too complicated, but we couldn't do that if it weren't for Jesus, if it weren't for the Spirit revealing uh, that truth to us. And get this, my favorite part, and then I'm going to wrap up here. Um, you can go to that next slide now, Soup. Thanks. This is the kind of worshiper that the Father is seeking. Um, I know you might feel sometimes that you're, try- you're on a spiritual journey and you're trying to reach God at the end. You know, you're trying to get to God. But um, this reminds us God is actually seeking worshipers. God is seeking you out. You think of yourself as somebody that God is seeking after, God is looking for, that God is pursuing. Do you think of yourself as somebody that God himself is pursuing? That is more accurate to what the Bible has said about God. Not that he's some some, uh, guy at the top of a mountain and we have to climb the mountain to try to get to him. He is the God who sent his son to come after us. He's the God who is seeking to make disciples who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So uh, there's, more, there's more to say on this, but I just want to leave you with that thought. If you're a disciple of Jesus, the glory of God should be something that we care more and more and more about, just that God receives what he is worthy of. And if you want a simple way to get started in that, Get in the habit of worshiping God with little prayers all the time. I walked around the corner once, uh, I was probably like 20 years old, and I, I, I was at, a, at that camp, and I thought I was by myself, and I walked into this building, and I'm just, just out loud, I said, God, I, I love you so much. And there was a guy in there, and, and he, I just walked in and said, I love you so much. It was a little awkward, but uh, this is kind of something that God has taught me. Just live a life where you're worshiping God, little prayers of worship all the time. It doesn't have to always be asking him for something. Just tell him, God, you're, you're good. You're taking care of me. I trust you. I'm having trouble with this. Help me to trust you more. Um, just get in the habit of these little prayers. I love you, God. I want to obey you. I want to trust you. You are good. You are wise. You defeated sin. Uh, you have forgiven me. I am free. Just worship in spirit and in truth. Keep saying things that are true to remind yourself. When you're alone, um, when you're in song, when you're in a worship service, in between the songs, during the intro of the song, just start. You know, even before when we're not singing, Lord, you're, you're, you're teaching me things about you. And just have these thoughts going through your mind. Worship in spirit and truth all the time, and then that will develop your love for the glory of God. Let me pray for you, okay? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your work in our lives, for knowing each of us by name. Thank you for um, not only are you seeking those who will worship you in spirit and in truth, but you, you have the ability to make it all happen. You, you, are, um, you can give us spiritual life, by giving us your spirit, and you can 
reveal your truth to us so we can declare it to you. And I pray that you'd help us all to develop this relationship of worship of you uh, all the time, when we're by ourselves, when we're gathered in church, when we're here at TNT, even when we're at school and uh, going to work and things like that. I pray you'd help us to always have uh, reverence and awe for you and a desire to see you glorified um, because there's nothing more important than that, more valuable than that in this entire world, in this entire universe. Uh, guide the discussion at small groups, help everyone to think through what this might mean for them and help us to understand in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys. Uh, small group assignments, I think, are on the screen and we're dismissed. <laughs>